0: Welcome to the RT Soccer Podcast. I'm Anthony Pine, and I'm delighted to be joined by Lisa Fallon and Conan Byrne to look ahead to the Republic of Ireland's World Cup qualifier against Sweden. We'll also reflect on the weekend's domestic action and touch on that big Premier League clash between Manchester City and Liverpool that ended all square at the Etihad. I'm speaking to you from a chilly but sunny Gothenburg ahead of tomorrow's game uh, which kicks off at 5.30pm Irish time and that's live on RT2 and the RT player. Lisa, uh, thoughts on this one? There's there's kind of some suggestions. It's a bit of a free swing for Ireland, just given that they are the underdogs. Sweden can qualify for the World Cup with a point uh, tomorrow night. What are you expecting from from Ireland?
1: Yeah, I think um, I'm not very comfortable with the, the term free swing. I think you should always approach every game to try and win it, and not not to, I, I think even that mindset to, to approach it as a free swing is just that just doesn't sit very comfortably with, with me at all i think you know you always have these are the types of games as a player and as a manager that you really want to play in you want to play against the best in the world you want to pitch yourself against them you want to see how good you are and can you cause a shock um and so i'm i personally wouldn't be comfortable with that that term and I'd like to hope that Ireland are not <laughs> approaching it in that way but um but look it is an opportunity um I think it's fair to say that Sweden will be stronger this time around than they were when we played them in Dublin they had a few injuries that time around as far as I can see Fridolina Rolfo is the only concern they have I think she's sick at the moment um, and she's an outstanding player And she wouldn't have been available um, the last time around in in Dublin. But I think, you know, this Sweden team, they are a serious team. If you look across the squad, all their players are playing the latter rounds um, of the the Women's Champions League. They're a serious entity, very physical team, very technical, um, really, really well set up. And um, these are a team that move the ball really, really quickly. But when you get into those little 1v1 duels with them, they're so smart, the way they use their bodies, their physicality. Um, And, you know, they're they're a really exciting team to watch. Um, But having said that, Ireland are going there with a job to do, and that's to try and get um, some points um, to try and help us secure that second place and that playoff place. Um, So... It is an opportunity for Ireland, I think. Uh, and obviously, Ireland have some injury concerns at the back, which are, I think, are big concerns, to be quite honest, um, because we don't really have the depth there, um, particularly with Savannah McCarthy now as well. Her injury, she's done so well since she's come in um, into that back three. So I think Ireland have injury concerns. Um, so I would worry about us a little, but I do think if you can't win the game, then you have to keep the score low. Um, and by keeping the score low, that, can, that could be potentially um, the, the difference in, in the way that the second place in this group is determined. Um, but I'd like to think that Ireland would be able to qualify or, you know, get, it, get that playoff place
0: outright. Yeah, they had a year of playing very high ranking teams as well. So I guess there's the sense that they're building towards getting to the point where they can go to a team like Sweden and, and take something out of that game. Uh, Colin, there, there could be a record crowd at this match tomorrow for Sweden's women's international game. Uh, I guess as a player, this is what you want, isn't it? Big occasion, very strong opponents, and, and a great platform to show what you're all about.
2: Absolutely, as Lisa said, these are the games that you relish as a as a football player, um, and you're coming up against absolute stars and Blackstenius as well, the the Arsenal um, creative player. Um, but yeah, I I have the worry about the defensive um, line that that. That, that Ireland might have tomorrow obviously with Diane Caldwell and Savannah McCarthy both out missing, it might give Chloe mustaki an opportunity now at the back to, to come in or it could mean that Megan Connolly probably possibly dropping back in, into the back line as well so it'll be an interesting decision for, for Vera Pau and and um, one that she'll have to kind of take it on the take it on the chin either way what what way she's going to play that back line because there, she's missing two very, very key players in that area. Having said that, I, I, I think we need to be aggressive in our approach to the game. I think we need to play press high up the pitch have the players able to do that. The, the likes of Lucy Quinn, Heather Payne up front, they can run all day, they can, they can cause havoc amongst um, the, those Swedish defenders if they press them high up the pitch. Um, but we all need to do, we need to do it as a unit. And that will be um, an important step that, that Vera Powell will, will try to drill into our players.
0: There was a media day at the Castle Knock Hotel last week and just speaking to a few of the players, one of the words that kept coming up was transition. We have to be better in the transition. Can you sort of elaborate, Lisa, what, what they mean when they say that? Because they did acquit themselves well in Tala against Sweden. They, were, they lost 1-0. But I, I suppose looking after the ball is is the one area that you think could have been better that night. Is that what they mean when they say transition? When we turn the ball over, we have to use it more efficiently?
1: Yes, yes. So when when you when you're building play from the back, you have the ball um, and when you lose the ball, you're quite open. So it means that on transition, the moment that the team loses the ball is the time that they're actually the most vulnerable, because there should, in theory, be the most amount of space because they're open, because they're trying to build play. and that's probably whilst defensive Ireland have been okay at that. And look, we've probably conceded a couple of goals through um, throughout this group by not having our defensive transitions 100% right. Um, I think you know what they're talking about there is when we do, when Ireland do win the ball back um, and looking to play forward early um, and being, having players in positions to receive um, early so that we can expose so that Ireland can expose opposition teams when they're out of shape and I think that's one of the key areas that they're probably talking about I know on Thursday they played against the Shamrock Rovers under 15 boys um, and Shamrock Grovers boys would have set up exactly the way Sweden will so and, and I think nearly all the players would have got minutes in that game um, so from those perspectives yes it, it all well and good winning the ball back but if you're going to be in a game where you're probably going to spend a fair amount of time out of possession when you get the ball back you really have to try and hang on to it and or at least do something positive with it because if you give it away straight away you're straight back into that defensive mode and it doesn't give you time to recover and it can be very fatiguing so um that part of Ireland's game is definitely an area for development and I think we have the players who can expose teams. You think of, you know, Katie McCabe, you have um, Heather Payne, Denise O'Sullivan, um, Lily Now is in the squad and she's that type of player, likes to play. She plays in the number 10 role. I had her at London City Lionesses um, and she's a really crafty, technical player as well. Um, and if, you, if we can get players who can get in between the lines and play forward to them and that they can turn our us from defence into attack and actually create attacks, um, well then I think that would be a really um, positive development to the Irish game because it is probably the one area that we haven't been brilliant at and that we probably need to see the, the development in that area of the game.
0: Liliag, it would be her debut tomorrow night if she did feature, do you think, do you think she might play a role at some stage?
1: I think I think it's a big ask to throw her in straight away. I know she was at a training camp last year and um, when she was um, getting her paperwork to declare for Ireland sorted. Um, she's got family in Cork. And uh, I remember when um, Ali Murphy and Hayley Nolan both got the call-ups, Lily was, you know, <laughs> telling me all about her, her Cork relations. Um, so, look, and, and Lily's had difficulties with injury. So she's just back, but she's... Been absolutely flying, and um, she fractured her knee. Um, but she's been flying lately. And like I said, Lily is that type of player. She has immense work rate. She works so hard without the ball. She's really tenacious, and she's pretty good at game management too. She's the type of player if you're, you know, if you need to manage the game. Lily's streetwise, and um, she knows how to play the game and, and manage it. And um, And, and, you know, she's a good communicator with players around her, but she's also a very technical player and she can she can pop goals in from 20 yards. You know, she has that in her locker. So she's a very exciting player. And I think she brings something into this Ireland squad that's a little bit different to what we have. Um, and I think if Lily could get into the team and get settled, um, I think she could you know, be a very interesting combination with the likes of Katie and Denise O'Sullivan and Heather Payne um, and, and Lucy Quinn obviously as well. So I think Lily just brings something a little bit different that Ireland haven't got but she's also you know she's i think she's 27 now so she's a mature player she's experienced um and she's played in a lot of big games throughout her career so she's she's not fresh if if, if you know what i mean to to she is to international football but in terms of the standard that she's played at and um it's just a question of how quickly she makes the adjustment from championship football, obviously, which is what she's playing at the moment with London City Lionesses, to um, international, which is a bit of a it is a bit of a jump. Um, but she does have certainly have the attributes, and I think the fact that she's in the squad will tell you a lot.
0: I, I, just in terms of the personnel and and what Ireland need to do with the ball tomorrow evening, um, Denise O'Sullivan, I think, is going to be, as always. You know, really important, Conan. It's just in terms of keeping the ball and being able to recycle possession in tight areas and her technical ability. But the player though I wanted to ask you about is Heather Payne, because I'm sure you've been in that position, Conan, where you've gone to grounds or you've gone to games away from home, particularly, where you know the home team is probably gonna own most of the ball. Um, and as a lone striker, you know, that's 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 a lonely mission, but she is absolutely made for that role isn't she like her stamina is unbelievable she's very very economical she's great at working the flanks good at holding the play up Um, what what do you think of Heather and how important do you think she could be um, tomorrow evening yeah she's been a breath of fresh air for the (coughs) excuse me for this Irish team
2: Um, she's been immense in terms of as you say her hold up play but also in the sense that I think she's going to have a big job to do in there's no, no there's nothing wrong with spoil tactics here to, uh, on, on Tuesday at all. Um, where we need to kind of make those silly, um, those fouls where maybe sweet Sweden are getting on, on the upper hand, and little drag backs, take your time on the ball. And Heather will have a, will have a huge job in that as well, in terms of making those little fells to, to stop Swedish attack Um, but then when she does get the ball, that she uses her pace to get in behind because as I said, I think it's very important that we use her effectively in the game and that we try to bring, it, bring her in as, as much as possible and with the likes of Katie McCabe, Katie McCabe Dermun flank and Denise O'Sullivan as well, Jamie Finn possibly playing at right wing back it, uh, it gives her the opportunity and to, to, to there are they're players that can, that can find her and um, hopefully then we can we can drive on and get higher up the pitch uh, Lisa just
0: touched on that as well just to go back to, to the loss of um... I know Ireland are missing Savannah McCarthy and Diane Kylewell, but just just Savannah because she's a left-footed central defender. least. like, how big a blow is it to lose that? Because I assume that gives you more balance, and they've really sort of settled into a nice little unit there over the last year as well. It's yeah, they place that, isn't it?
1: They are, and you know, to have a left a left-footed centre back is is. Um, it does give you balance. And I think if you know straight away that the, the left centre-back is, is right-footed, it completely changes how a team can play out and it changes how a forward presses. And, you know, it does, it, it sends them into... You're you're sending bodies, you're sending the ball into the middle of the pitch, whereas the one area you do not want to lose it. So um, and, and the the likes of a Swedish team will be very streetwise to that fact and, and will be very aware. Um and Savannah has been an incredible find really for, for the Irish team. She's slotted in so well, she's developed fantastically as a player, um, and, and she really has just fitted perfectly into that Irish system. And you know, she is it, losing her is a blow and then there was obviously the hope that maybe Megan Campbell, who's been back and getting minutes at Liverpool, that she might have been available, but unfortunately she isn't. So it is its is a problem um, in that system when you need three players who can play centre-back. Um, so it, it's going to be very interesting, and that is probably the key area um, that... Sweden will potentially look to exploit because they're going to know. And you look at the types of players that they have. Like they've Kosovo or Aslani she wasn't available. Um, for the last game she plays for Real Madrid, they'll have Stina Blackstenius, who uh, Conan has referred to already. Stina is playing at Arsenal, so Katie McCabe will know her really well. Um, she's she's an exceptional player. But Rebecca Blomqvist, um, she's at Wolfsburg. I mean, all of, you you look at them all the way across the the front line, those players will know um, and will have researched where Ireland's vulnerabilities are. And I think when you see, I think it was a 15-0 scoreline against Georgia at the weekend. So they're a ruthless team. They know what they need to do to qualify and all they will care about is getting over the line um, to make sure that they're they're qualified for this World Cup. So um, they are a ruthless team. It's it, it's one of the attributes that they have. I think there's been a lot made about their their new jerseys. Where in the tags on the inside, they've told everyone how to beat them and what their strengths and their weaknesses are. Um, but they are they are um they are a leading light in, in women's football. You know, they they have been for a very long time. They had a little bit of a lull. They were certainly, you know, the pace setters in, in women's football for decades, and then they had a little bit of a lull when the rest of the world caught up, but they've certainly um reaffirmed their 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 standing as, as one of the powerhouses in in women's football globally right now. So, um, but like I said, this is going to be a a big ask for Ireland. Um, They will have a big crowd there. Um, And with Ireland's defensive issues, I think it will be, it it could be a difficult night, but the key is that Ireland just hang in there and regardless of what way it goes and and what the scoreline is, keeping the scoreline as low as possible could could be the equivalent of a point come the end of, of, of this group
0: yeah just incidentally just for people who, who aren't aware that it Sweden unveiled a New Jersey's for the Euros earlier this week and it actually comes printed with a guide on the team's tactical style and individual player strengths so um it, it's it's printed on the inside of the collar I think and says things like um, Sweden is one of the fastest playing teams in the world and also one of the very best at counterattacking do everything you can to reclaim the ball once you lose it try to force the Swedish players down the sidelines and close them down aggressively so uh, they're not insecure about their own um, abilities uh, Conal, actually this is just something I want to ask the both of you, is like, in general terms are Ireland getting better, have you seen improvements in this Ireland team over the last year, like Viripa has, has blooded new players, continues to do that uh, they had awful disappointment in the last campaign where they fell short um, can you see them getting better?
2: I think look, I think Lisa would be the would be the right person to ask this. I go I go to the <coughs> excuse me, I go to the games as as a fan more so than anything else. I bring my girls to to the games in Tala, um. But Lisa would would know these these girls inside out. But what I would say is that when I have gone to the games, I have seen a dramatic improvement in in performances, um, in terms of atmosphere as well, um, with all the, the young girls that are going to the games. It's absolutely incredible to see, and that there's a. There's a huge, there's a great camaraderie among the girls. It's that that's what I've noticed as well. Um, their shape is very good. Um, as I said, the tree at the back system is working really, really well. Um, and their attacking players are starting to shine too. So, um, what I've seen, absolutely, there's been an improvement. But I will let uh, Lisa, Lisa, talk about it in more detail, maybe. Yeah.
0: Same questions to you then, Lisa.
1: Yeah. I've- I think there has, I think what we're starting to see with this team now is an identity, we know who they are, we know what way they play, we know what the system is and we know know what players' roles are, So, um, and also I think we're playing to the strengths of some of the, you know, we're starting to see players take ownership of the positions that they're playing, Um, and there's that bit of accountability in the team, but I think one of the biggest things for me that's changed in the team is mindset and belief. Um, and I think that's one thing, like we've always been, oh, we almost got there and oh, sure didn't we do great. But that's different in this group. And I really like that. Um, I think they're not afraid to put, to set the bar high. Um, I think they, um, they're accountable and they have no problem being accountable. And I think when you can get, when you get your team into that space, um, you're in a different place because I know myself from my time with Northern Ireland, um, Northern Ireland were a team that never qualified for a major, you know, for Euros, and in 2016 we qualified. But the players were the same from the 2014 campaign. The only thing that changed was mindset and belief, um, and and that's why it's such a powerful entity. Um, that when you can change that mindset in the group and they have that belief, and you know, I know we talk about the the defensive frailties, and you know, maybe a little bit about you know one of the <clears throat> main objectives on tuesday will be to keep the score down if ireland you know are not in a position to get to get um, points from this game but i do think ireland will approach this game to try and get points from this game i don't think they'll be over i don't think they'll be massively defensive we'll have to be defensive at times but i still think the players will have that belief that they're going there to get a result um and and that's important and it's really important to go there with that mindset um and, and to be a little bit disappointed if you don't get a, you know, get a win or a point over there. And I think that's the big for me, the biggest change in this team is that level of maturity um, and that level of um, setting the bar a little bit higher of themselves, because that's the only way you achieve is if you set the bar a little bit higher than you've ever reached before, then you you have a chance you know of getting there. So you have to allow yourself to fail in order to try and achieve success. But yes, we have a good quality team We've players playing at a really good level. The players' fitness levels are better. You know, they're they're more structured. There's a great support behind them. Um, But for me, the biggest difference in this team is the mindset. And for me, that's the biggest thing that you need to change in order to qualify and, and, and go and do go on to do things that have never been done before. It's about that mindset piece. The belief in the team has that now, I think.
0: Yeah, and I, I was sort of thinking about the importance of players like Lucy Quinn coming into the group because there was a danger there'd be a hangover from the Euros campaign. You know, teams can get hard if that, that sort of disappointment. The fresh blood maybe has helped to invigorate um, the squad and, and other players to go again. But look, I'll, I'll ask you just finally on the game to, to maybe stick the necks out and give me a score prediction. I can start with you, Lisa.
1: Um, I'm going to be. I'm going to say, look, I I think we, if we could get a draw, it would be brilliant. I'll go for that.
0: Conan,
2: I'd like to be optimistic as well, um, like Lisa. Um, So, um, yeah, I'll go for the draw as well. Go for the draw as well.
0: (laughs) Okay, good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Full house. I'm going to say one all as well. So let's let's hope so. Uh, that game just remind that game is on uh, rt television from uh, half five irish time rt2 on the rt player and you can follow it too on rt radio one extra or on rt.ie and the rt news app where we'll have a live blog uh, just to look back then on some domestic action um Conor, I'll start with you there was a lot of talk and hype around st pat's dundalk on friday night Stephen o'donnell going back to to Inchicore, firstly the game itself. Uh, I think Tim Clancy was quite disappointed coming out with only a point. Uh, he felt Pats were the better side. Uh, would you go with that?
2: Um,
0: I think so. I think um, their goalkeeper had the had the
2: busier of the two of, of the of the night. Um, Nathan Shepherd he made two wonderful saves from Owen Doyle. Uh, one header from a point, point blank header that he was able to tip over the bar. I don't know how he got to it. So it was a a wonderful save from him. Um, it, was a bit, it wasn't a great game from, from, a, from a neutral point of view. Trying to like, if It's on TV and you're looking for a bit of excitement. Um, obviously, Dara Burns was, was, was excellent on the night. Um, but you're looking for those chances to be put away. Um, and I think Owen Doyle will be very disappointed he didn't put, the, put at least one of them away. And um, it was just a, a disappointing night all around in terms of the overall quality of the game. And um, with Pats, they've, they've, they've played nine games. They've only scored 10 goals this season. So I think that's a little bit of an area that they need to work on. Um, I know that they're sitting in third place and 14 points, but they're still nine points behind Derry City at the moment. And that's a, that's a, long, a long gap. Um, so I think they'll need to improve in the next series of games on the, up in the higher end of the pitch um, because they do have the players... To be able to create a lot of chances and to score goals, and I think that's the one area that that Pats will need to work on going forward.
0: Um, just just on Stephen O'Donnell, Lisa, like I'm sure you've been in a situation at some point where you've seen either a former player coming back to the team or a manager going back to an old team, and and maybe there's a little bit of bad blood or animosity. I think Tim Clancy's, Clancy's interview with Tony O'Donnell, after the match he said that you know that we didn't pay any attention to the noise around it. I don't know. I mean, it, I'd, I'd assume it's very difficult not to because it kind of dominates the narrative. And then for Stephen O'Donnell himself, it can't have been easy. Um, can you give us a sense of how that affects people? And, and probably I'd ask Conan as well as a player like, to go back to an old ground like that. It can't be easy when there's a lot of stick flying your way to keep your focus on the match and your decision making and all the rest. I think...
1: I think when you prepare for a game, you have to focus on the game, um, particularly when you're involved as a player or a coach or a manager. You have to focus on the game because if you don't and you get sidetracked by the outside stuff, then you're, you're in trouble already. Um, the stakes definitely are a bit higher. I think you feel a bit more pressure, um, for sure. But then I think you're always putting pressure on yourself anyway. But um, and, and the extra, the bit of stick that you get will definitely add a little bit of spice to it. But some people lap that up and it motivates them more and other people, you know, just maybe just are, have to be better at focusing and, and just, you know, putting it out of their heads and embracing it and just, you know, changing their focus. But, um, but yeah, no, look, it does happen, but I think in this day and age, um, the way the League of Ireland is so like, there's so much change every season um, between managers and players moving from club to club that it really, you know, it, it, it's not, it's not as heavy as I think it could be um, unless you're there a long, long time. Um, but I think the Stephen O'Donnell one definitely was um, a more difficult one, um, particularly, you know, you can understand why he went back to Dundalk because that's where, that's his grow. you know, he, he, he did a lot there and there was, there'd be a lot of heartstring pulls to Dundalk and he saw an opportunity there and you can understand that. Um, and... And again he comes out of Pats having won a trophy and it's it's just I can understand it um particularly as having been part of that Dundalk and Cork city rivalry for five and a half years yes I know exactly what it's like um and I know what the pressures are like um but it's um I can understand why he wanted to go back to Dundalk um because it's probably the place where he really wanted to be when the opportunity came up um, and and that comes from your heart. That comes from inside. That's a good instinct. That you know, your sometimes your head will rule your heart, and your heart will rule your head. And um, but but in this instance, that's what what he what he decided to do. But uh, you can understand um, why Pat's would have been extremely disappointed with it, particularly with the whole contract situation around it as well um but um but yeah look those rivalries are part and parcel of the game and like I said sometimes it motivates even more but if you're going into the game thinking about that you're in the wrong place you're on the back foot already you have to be focused on the game um and if you're a manager you have to make sure that your players are focused and if your players are are, are the the one that's going back to the old ground then they just have to really focus on the performance but that's that's You know, this is professional football and and the stakes are high and every point matters. So um, I think, yeah, I think, to be fair, inside both camps, they really would have been just focused on the games. O'Donnell, like I say, he's a seasoned professional in the League of Ireland. He'd have no, you know, he'd be well used to getting a bit of stick, going to different grounds. um, And it won't be something that will have phased him in the slightest.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've come to the City-Liverpool game. Shortly enough, but like there were some people saying that maybe that rivalry is a little bit too friendly in terms of hugging and shaking hands in the tunnel. Maybe Colin, like the likes, I mean, you don't want to ever go over the mark or see anybody overstep the mark, but these type of rivalries aren't necessarily a bad thing for the league either. Make things a little more interesting,
2: no, no, not at all. And I think, I think Stephen O'Donnell said in a, a pre match interview that his conscience was clear. Yet, when Alan Matthews went to shake his hand and he didn't. Uh, didn't shake it. It shows that it probably isn't. And there is still, um, the water hasn't ran under the bridge just yet. Um, he Obviously, Stephen is disappointed with the reaction of St. Pats and, and his, his leaving. Um, but at the same time, it's a fantastic career move for him. And I think he was clever with his move um, in the sense that they finished second and they won an FAI Cup. Could St. Pats do any better given the squad that they had? I don't think so. Um so he's gone now to, to Dundalk to rebuild at a club, as Lisa says, that he is such a Gra for. So um, I, I think in terms of a career move for Stephen O'Donnell, it was probably the right thing to do. Um, obviously, St. Pat's are very disappointed because he he did a fantastic job at the club. Um, I know they were disappointed because there's the the rumour going around that he left let a, a few of the players' contracts run out so that he could take them with him to Dundalk. Whether that's how true that is, we, we will never know. Um but at the same time, yeah, rivalry is important. We've we we've seen the the rivalry at Bose Rovers over the last number of years, which has been over the last number of years over the last century, which has been fantastic. Um, but in in recent times with Dundalk and Cork, we need something else. We need something to fill that void. And if it's a Dundalk, St Pat's, Stephen O'Donnell, um, main main actor role, we'll 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 take that.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely, Colin, and I don't disagree. Um. Just then, to touch quickly on the first division, uh, Galway United drew one nil with Wexford. Uh, late equaliser there for Galway from Stephen Walsh. And uh, I just ask you very quickly: Galway moving well now in second place. I mean, there's promotion. They'd, they'd be desperate for it this year, and a good season last year, but just fell short. You think this is the year now that they'd be looking to push and, and get back to the top flight?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you know the last year going full time will have stood to the players and will have stood to the team and and you know getting the structures in place. So I think you know that they, they've started really well this year. Um I think they'll have been disappointed with a, a draw against Wexford, particularly when there was an opportunity to go um joint top I think with Cork City. So um but I think the first division is actually going to be very tough this year. I think um, Waterford obviously will be there thereabouts and made a really good win over Cove um, at the weekend as well um, so Waterford will definitely have a say Cork City have obviously been really you know they've started very well as well and as have Galway um, but I think as well Longford are a little bit under the radar um, I think Gary Cronin has a really good team there i I've actually watched the game against um, Athlone and they're a really good side, you know. They play out from the back. They really build play. They're well able to break the opposition team's press, and they're creative. Um, and they're just creeping up the table. I know they had they were they missed games at the start. You know the games were called off, and then they had their idle week. But I think Longford will have a say in this um, this title race in in the first division as well. The one thing I will say about the first division, though, is you really have to win it to get out. Because um, it's it's such a tough division. Once you get into the playoffs, you know, anything can happen. So um, I think, you know, certainly from Galway's perspective, you know, it will be to win it this year. Finished second last year, got knocked out in the playoffs. But um, you have to win it, um, I I think, to be certain. Um, But I think the first division is going to be um, very competitive this year. And I think, you know, teams like Treaty and... You know the, the treaty are always a tough team to go and play against and you know they'll have a say they might not they might not have a say in, in winning the title but, but they'll have a say I think in who does um as will Bray so um the first division is going to be tough I think um and it's it's interesting to see that they're all so close together if Longford win their games in hand they're gonna be nestled right up there with Cork Waterford and Galway um and obviously you'll have the, the Cork Galway rivalry with with John Caulfield at center stage as well. So um, I think the first division will will be a very interesting one this year for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean as you say it is it's an awful slog through those playoffs and uh, it's it's a tough all division to get out of. And we'll just finish then on the on that Man City Liverpool game. There was an article in The Guardian on Saturday um that reported that it was estimated to exceed 20 million live viewers across the globe for this game. So as a comparison, uh, the classical were getting around 100 million. <laughs> so for, for all the hype and the fanfare, and we're talking about two unbelievable football teams, they really are exceptional football teams, but it's not, it's not a huge figure, is it? 20 million? Like, what, what, What's your opinion on where does this stand uh, in terms of the great modern football rivalries? Uh, Colin, I'll just ask you, first of all, what, what's your opinion? Because there's been suggestions that maybe some people... Or of the opinion that the old uh, Arsenal-Man United rivalry uh, had a bit more about it. It was a bit spicier, and they disliked each other a little more. Other people would point to the quality of the teams. Uh, others would then actually look at point to something like the the, the TV viewers. Uh, Twenty million is relatively modest when you think of how hyped up this game was. Uh, where do you stand on it?
2: Um, I just think it, 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 we seem to hear the the, the the lads at Sky Sports trying to build up their games um, a lot, you hear Jamie Carger and, and Gary Neville and those Jamie Redknapp and saying, "Oh, yeah, it's the biggest rivalry there, there's ever been." Absolutely nowhere near it. Um, obviously, Manchester United, Arsenal, Ferguson, Wenger, two huge characters of the of the British game of the English Premier League. Um, that rivalry was was so intense. Um, week in week out, there was there was um, their media interviews were all about the other teams bottling it proper um, perhaps and um, those that rival that's the rivalry that that I that, that I feel is 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 probably won't even be topped. Um, the rivalry between Liverpool and Manchester City, yeah, it's it's there because they're the top two in the in in the country at the moment and rightly so. Their players are absolutely phenomenal. The way they're the manager, two best managers. Possibly in the world, um, but it's a friendly rivalry between the two managers as well. They get on really, really well, and we noticed that from before the game. They had a they had a lovely conversation, and then after the game, the the handshake afterwards. Um, so they, there's a huge respect for one another. Um, so that, that that's great to see. But in terms of rivalry, um, and being the biggest rivalry in the world, I wouldn't I wouldn't even class it as a rivalry probably. Um, but the game itself, I, 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 I thought it was an, an excellent game. I thought um, Manchester City came out of the blocks really, really quickly. Um, Liverpool on the back foot. They looked, Virgil van Dyke looked sloppy on, in possession. Um, the, I think the atmosphere got to them a little bit, if I'm being totally honest. And it was only after 10, 15 minutes that they sprayed 20, 25 passes together that they managed to get a foothold in the, in the game. Um and it was just unfortunate for Manchester City that it didn't take advantage of that in the for, in the opening 10-15 minutes. Um, but I think a draw in the end was a fair result. And um I think Liverpool would be the happier of the two teams.
0: Just, just finally, Lisa, I'd like to pick your brain because when I look at City in particular, to be honest with you, I, I often don't know what way they're set I don't know who's playing where. They're so fluid. Um do you, do you watch games like that with a sort of coach's eye? Do you try and figure out what's going on? It's a game of chess, I guess, looking at teams of that sort of quality.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think what this rivalry is, I think it's the greatest tactical rivalry of all time. I think um, it's not about this, the other stuff and yes, this physicality and all those other attributes that you need to win the game. But, but this game is about two managers who are in incredibly deep thinkers who try to outthink each other it's a rivalry where people try to outthink each other um, and try to make decisions that outfox each other and I, I that's why it's so interesting from a coaching point of view I agree with Colin it's completely different to the the Ferguson-Wenger rivalry between, you know, that, I mean, that was just on a different level, but in a different way. Um, And um, that was out battling each other and mindsets and everything, but this is tactical and technical and, and again, Pep, you know, has been under so much pressure, even if you could even say that um, in the build up to the the Champions League game against Atletico last week, you know, where people were talking to him and and asking him, does he overthink? And he's like, of course I overthink, you know, that's my job. Um, And that's what but that's what I love about it. When you watch it, you're trying to see. And I just thought yesterday I I did my pro license club visit at Man City. Champions League game against FC Basel so we, it was it was incredible just to have an insight into him and how he prepares his teams and how they train and, and all that type of stuff um, and he is fascinating you know because he doesn't want to keep doing the same thing he wants to change it all the time so that he can be so that you can out the opposition because it's very very difficult to do something different um, but he has been an innovator he has changed the game you know Massively, as has Klopp, um, and that the rivalry—it's like where they—they're they're just trying to outthink each other. But what I loved yesterday was how Man City exploited Liverpool's high line. I thought it was so so smart. You, if you watch it back, what they did was as Liverpool pulled up the high line, Man City left four, three, four players in behind. No bother, but the player on the ball—they always had one player that was level with one defender and the player on the ball picked out that player so if anyone had drifted at all due to the players in behind they had the they had they were on side and that's actually where one of the goals comes from and I thought I just thought it was so so clever if you went the one from the corner where it comes out and at Liverpool push up Man City have four players behind the line but the ball gets popped into the player who's level and they're just really clever at doing that. And I thought that was something we saw it a little bit before, maybe with one player, but he did it with more players this time. And I thought that was clever and I really enjoyed that. <laughs> so um, it's uh well, as I was saying, when you watch these games, you're always going to learn as, as a coach, they're two of the best tactical coaches in the world. And I, I would, if you know, it would be great to see, it, it's just a treat. To watch games like that where they're just trying to, as you said, it's like a game of chess where they're just trying to outfox each other um, and who make one move, who makes the next move and then you're caught on this side because they wanted you to do that because they're doing something else over there. It's lovely, it's, it's great. Um, I wish we could watch those games in tactical view. So you can see all the players on the pitch at the same time. Because on TV, it's a bit like wearing an eye patch when you're watching the games. You can only see a part of it. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, listen, from that perspective, it's a different type of rivalry. Um, and it's 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 brilliant in its own right.
0: Yeah, and big clash again this weekend. So we can look forward to that and, and potentially in the Champions League final. Who knows? Uh, listen, we'll leave it there. Thanks again. Thanks a million, Conan and Lisa for, for joining us. We'll be back again next week. Republic of Ireland versus Sweden is, as I said, live on RTE tomorrow evening. So tune in. Best of luck to Ireland. Thanks for joining us. Good luck.